You're listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's program is entitled Why Oh Why? Hello my radio friends, welcome to the program today where we'll be considering a perplexing problem. I'm fairly certain that most of you have heard the wisdom saying, birds of a feather flock together. That applies to human beings in as much that people with common interests seem to enjoy each other's company. To illustrate. When I was about 14 years of age, my uncle and aunt and young cousin who lived in Port Ferry in Victoria invited my mother, my young brother and me to accompany them on a caravan trip from where we lived at Wangala on the River Murray to Western Australia. We had other relatives who lived near Perth at a small town, Bickley, where they grew fruit and walnuts. My Victorian uncle and aunt had a big car that easily towed their caravan. Back then, seat belts were unheard of, and although there were six of us in the car, we were quite comfortable. The road was bitumen between Adelaide and Sojourner, and then from Kalgoorlie to Perth. But in between, across the Nullarbor Plain, It was gravel road. It was springtime, and the Western Australian wildflowers were blooming. After a week or so of visiting our Western Australian relatives, we undertook the journey back to Adelaide. Unfortunately, a tropical cyclone had beaten us to it, and we had an exciting, wet and boggy trip on the gravel roads. Generally, and particularly back then, motorists would wave when passing, but apart from that they had little in common except they were all making a long trip. Somewhere near Balladonia there was a hold-up. Two semi-trailers were bogged up to the tops of their wheels and it was almost impossible to pass by since they took up most of the road. At this point of time it was nearing sunset, so we and many other motorists decided to stop and stay the night before leaving next morning when travelling would be much less hazardous. So there there we were at this unscheduled camping spot, with several dozen other people, most of whom slept in their cars. But the interesting thing was the camaraderie. People shared their food with the stranded truck drivers, and we all sat around recounting experiences about the difficulties in getting thus far on this journey. It was the trouble that had brought people together. 
That was probably the best thing about the whole trip. That is, the friendly, helpful atmosphere that developed because all experienced the hardships of the journey. The birds of a feather flock together principle was certainly happening in that place back then. But there can also be a negative, a downside to the adage. This negative side has often been exploited during wartime. In order to get soldiers to fight, it is necessary for them to be brainwashed to think that their enemies are callous brutes who should be exterminated. If a soldier thinks his enemies are family people who love their wives and children as he does, he'll be very much less inclined to fight. Unfortunately, the birds of a feather principle has adversely affected followers of Christ. In the Gospel of John, Jesus made this profound statement. It is found in chapter 15, verses 18 and 19. Jesus said, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. And that brings us to the main point of today's program. Why is it that many people hate Christians who are generally good to, uh, known to be good and considerate and helpful and law-abiding? Why would anyone want to hurt or kill those who've done them no harm? It seems so unreasonable and illogical. Before proposing the reasons, I want to provide you with three examples of worldly, unchristian people doing bad to Christians. Firstly, do you know what happened to the apostles who accompanied Jesus? Of course, Judas who was not a genuine follower of Christ, committed suicide a little before Jesus was crucified. So we can count him out. All the other apostles were killed, martyred or murdered, except John, who died a natural death. Although, apparently, the Romans tried to boil John in a cauldron of hot oil. But God performed a miracle with John, just as he did with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego back in the time of King Nebuchadnezzar in the B.C. Babylonian Empire where God saved the three Hebrews from burning in the fiery furnace. The apostles were not lawbreakers. They were not criminals. They simply shared the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ. Now we come to example two. And that's about what happened to the Protestants during the Reformation. Because they differed 
from the established Roman Catholic religion. They were in many cases killed, that is, martyred for their faith. And there were not just a few. Millions lost their lives and their property was taken. They were not bad people. They were persecuted simply, persecuted simply because they were different. They were not prepared to accept the status quo, which back then was to adhere to the state religion. Now, example three. This is about what has been happening in recent times in places like India, Pakistan and Egypt. Christians have made their presence felt in those places. They've set up churches, clinics, orphanages, schools, hospitals and other institutions to help those in need. From time to time we hear news reports about where groups of local people have banded together and attacked the Christians and destroyed their institutions. It seems so ridiculous to do harm to those who've done so much good in those communities. But why should bad people want to harm good people? I suggest there is at least one or a combination of four reasons. They are fear, jealousy, a stubborn refusal to acknowledge their own character defects, and revenge. Take the life of Jesus while he was here on earth. Did he do bad to anyone? No. He went about doing good healing, teaching and preaching and encouraging. Yes, the Bible records a time when Jesus spoke very plainly to the Jewish leaders and pointed out that they were hypocrites attempting to appear to be holy and good while belief, sorry, belief beneath all their pretense and righteousness they were evil. You can read about it in Matthew chapter 23, and here is just one verse, verse 28. Jesus said, You outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. But they did not accept his criticism, which was given for their own good. In their case, unless their true condition was revealed and they were encouraged to reform their ways, they would continue living corrupt lives. None of us like having our faults exposed, and the Jewish leaders, instead of repenting and living pure lives, dug in and hatched up plans to get rid of Jesus. And in the end, they did get rid of Jesus but the charge they laid against him was so flimsy it was ridiculous. The Jewish Sanhedrin, 
as you probably know, set up in the illegal kangaroo court on the Thursday night prior to Jesus' crucifixion, where they condemned him to death. But because they had no civil or legal authority to carry out such an execution, they had to take their case to the Roman rulers. Hence, Jesus was hustled by the Jewish rabble, eventually over to the palace of the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, early Friday morning, for him to hear their case and cross-examine the prisoner, Jesus. This having been done, Pilate came out to the Jews who were shouting in chorus, Crucify him! Crucify him! (laughs) I wonder who was their cheerleader. And Luke 23 verse 22 records what happened. Then he, that's Pilate, said to them, that's the Jews, the third time, Why? What evil has he done? I've found no reason for death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. Although Pilate had announced in his judgment that Jesus was innocent and undeserving of death, He caved in to public pressure and permitted Jesus to be unjustly executed. Pilate should have upheld the law and protected Jesus, who, as he already had acknowledged, had done no wrong. We're going to have a little break and go on straight afterwards. love of Jesus sing his mercy and his grace in the mansions bright and blessed he'll prepare for us a place when we all when we all get to heaven what a day of rejoicing that will be when we all see Jesus We'll sing and shout the victory Onward to the prize before us Soon His beauty will behold Soon the pearly gates will open We shall tread the streets of gold When we all get to heaven What a day Rejoicing that will be When we all see Jesus We'll sing and shout the victory When we all see Jesus We'll sing and shout the victory Just before the break, I mentioned to you how Pilate, who should have upheld the law and protected Jesus, caved into public pressure and allowed him to be crucified. Jesus had exposed the evil in the Jewish leadership. He had exposed their rackets of becoming rich and powerful, 
at the expense of the common people. And those Jewish leaders did not like what he pointed out. You see, fear is a powerful motive. If you've taken any notice of news reports, you will have become aware of what generally happens to whistleblowers, people who expose corruptions in businesses and institutions. Julian Assange, the founder of WikiLeaks, is one such person. Assange, an Ecuadorian-Australian computer programmer, has found nasty, corrupt secrets existing in the governments and large corporations in various countries and has leaked that information to the world. So, what has happened? Has Assange been hailed as a hero, as someone who has acted in the public interest? No. Assange is basically a political prisoner in the Ecuadorian embassy in London. If he leaves the embassy, he'll be arrested. Those who he has exposed are out to get him, just like those Jesus exposed, and they went out of their way to get him. The Jewish leadership and various corporate and government leaders are and have been fearful of anyone disturbing the nests they have built for themselves and exposing their evils. In other words, they're afraid when someone looks like upsetting their apple cart. We all have our comfort zones and don't like them to be disturbed. In the case of the Jewish leaders, they were also jealous that Jesus was stealing their limelight. The Jewish leaders did all they could to protect their power and influence. But when Jesus entered his public ministry of healing, teaching and preaching, people flocked to him. Jesus gave the people healing, comfort and hope, whereas the Jewish leaders had nothing to present except more of the old, dry regulations and traditions. Their popularity and influence was waning. They were being shown up. If they had been honest with themselves, they should have accepted Jesus' teaching rather than opposing it. Then they would have been able to rejoice with enthusiasm at the freedom and new life they would have had. What happens when someone touches on one of your raw points? In other words, when someone exposes, or at least might appear to expose, something in your life you're not proud about. The natural tendency, tendency is to cover up those defects or mistakes. When there's a risk 
that your pet sins may be exposed. You might go into hiding or react aggressively. This is exactly what those Jewish leaders did with Jesus, it all the while trying to look good in the eyes of the people. I often ask myself, why, oh why, did they not accept the words of truth? Why did they not accept the one who presented truth to them? Why did those who should have known and taught the truth of God's revealed word stubbornly hold on to what they had and were unwilling to let go? Why, oh why, did they refuse to accept the living water, the bread of life, and hang on to their old, stuffy ways? Why would someone want to remain a prisoner of sin instead of having the freedom and peace of mind that comes from following and obeying the Lord? It's easy enough to condemn those Jewish leaders for their refusal to budge from their established religion with its forms and ceremonies. But are there any counterparts today? What I mean is this. Are you someone who feels trapped in maybe a life of sin? Are you satisfied with your empty way of life? Maybe you feel dissatisfied with how you're living and wish for something better. King Solomon tried all sorts of things to bring his troubled mind satisfaction and in the end he concluded that it is best to fear God and keep his commandments and that's found in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 13. Jesus is the answer. In him is forgiveness, peace, satisfaction and hope. In him is the path to eternal life. I also ask myself, why do some people cling tenaciously to wrong doctrines taught in some churches. If they know what is right, they should take action. Many say that they love the Lord, but, like Peter of old, they deny him. They deny their responsibilities to him. They deny the truth as taught in the Bible. They deny their obedience to the laws God has put in place. Titus chapter 1 and verse 16 sums these people up. It says, They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They are detestable. I suspect that those who refuse to put aside their sins along with those who know the truth, yet refuse to practice what they know to be right, are motivated by the devil rather than the Lord. 
And dear listeners, it's my sincere hope that you won't be one of those. And it is my hope that you will be willing to follow and serve the Lord wherever he and his word, the Bible, leads you. So that's it for today. May you be blessed, and may no one lament over your wrong decisions. Instead, may there be rejoicing on earth, as there will be in heaven, as you choose to honour God in your life. Farmer and a teacher Hooker and a preacher Riding on a midnight bus Bound for Mexico One's headed for vacation One for higher education Two of them were searching for lost souls The driver never ever saw the stop sign Eighteen-wheelers can't stop on a dime There are three wooden crosses on the right side of the highway Why there's not four of them, heaven only knows Guess it's not what you take when you leave this world behind you It's what you leave behind you when you go Farmer left to harvest Home in 80 acres Faith and love for growing things In his young son's heart That teacher left her wisdom In the minds of lots of children Did her best to give them all a better start That preacher whispered Can't you see the promised land? He laid that bloodstained Bible in that booker's hand There are three wooden crosses on the right side of the highway Why there's not four of them, heaven only knows Guess it's not what you take when you leave this world behind you It's what you leave behind you when you go that's the story that our preacher told the other day As he held that bloodstained Bible up for all of us to see He said, bless the farmer and the teacher and the preacher Who gave this Bible to my mama who read it to me There are Three wooden crosses on the right side of the highway Why there's not four of them, now I guess we know I guess it's not what you take when you leave this world behind you It's what you leave behind you when you go There are three wooden crosses on the right side of Highway